In this episode of Full Stack Radio, I welcome back Jason McCreary to talk about Git tips and tricks, as well as how to find the right Git workflow for your team. This is Full Stack Radio, episode 41. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Full Stack Radio Podcast. Just a couple quick updates before we get into the show. Still working hard on Refactoring to Collections, the book that I'm putting out, uh, which you can check out at adamwaven.me slash refactoring dash two dash collections. The book content is 99% finished, just going through and proofreading and editing a few things. And now I'm working on the screencasts and exercises that will be coming along with the book. I also was just able to announce that I'll be giving a talk and workshop at Laracon EU this year. So I'm giving a workshop on test-driven Laravel and a talk on curing the common loop with collection pipelines. So if you're looking for a conference to check out in Europe this year, definitely uh, take a look at that one. It's always been a fun conference and this will be my third time going and I'm really looking forward to it. So that's all I got for you guys. Here's the interview with Jason McCreary. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Full Stack Radio. I'm your host, Adam Wadden, and today I'm joined again by Jason McCreary. How's it going, dude? Good, good. So the reason I wanted to have you back on the show was uh, last time you were on, offline we started kind of getting into chatting about Git and Git workflows and stuff like that, and it sounded like you were preparing a talk on Git at the time, and I realized I'd never really talked about version control at all on the podcast, so I thought it would kind of be a fun topic to dive into and see if there's any kind of cool tips and tricks that we could cover or uh, answer some kind of common questions that people might have about it and just kind of see where it goes. Yeah, definitely. So what kind of motivated you to kind of start putting together a talk or a presentation on Git? Yeah, I think it's a, first of all, I think it's just a really interesting um, topic. And uh, I run a a local software engineering meetup. And uh, so we try to burn through a lot of different topics. And so, of course, version control came up over time and and Git's definitely the the de facto, um, you know, source control tool these days as, as popularized by GitHub, which they're not the same thing, by the way, because a lot of people tend to uh, tend to you know when they're starting out they tend that's how they know git is through github and so they tend to kind of think those are the same thing and, and uh, of course they're they're not that's a it's kind of a noob mistake there but uh, but yeah also just working with shift um, I got a window in to see how you know people beyond just my my coworkers and so forth like use git and their familiarity with git and you know how comfortable are they with a PR and um, adding commits to a to a separate branch right and so that gave me some insight, I think, as a product, like into um, just kind of there being this need where people maybe they use Git, even though they're using it every day. It's almost like they're using it from memory, you know, because someone told them, "Here's the three commands you need to do in order to use Git, and don't ever do anything else." You know, don't don't mind the man behind the curtain. And uh, so, in a way, at first, it can be a little bit intimidating because it seems like there's a lot of power, and the last thing you want to do is like delete your files. But the point is, is that, you know, Git's like this super powerful tool and all these people have thought of all these things before. And if you take the time to learn a couple of these commands, um, it, it is really empowering. And so that's what I wanted to do with these talks and, and these meetups is, is kind of just help people feel empowered as I do using Git and, and feel almost a little bit, uh, you know, cowboyish when you're just throwing commands because, you know, worst case scenario, you just check out or reset or cut a branch and you're, you're good to go. Yeah, cool. So 
I kind of think maybe a cool thing to do would just be walk through like any things that kind of come to mind that maybe people run into and kind of let those guide the conversation into places that maybe different areas of Git that could use some more in-depth explanation or, um, you know, things that we could kind of talk about that would help people kind of build a better mental model of kind of how the whole thing works. But uh, kind of the first one that comes to mind for me that I, I've, you know, used to run into myself and that I see a lot of people run into that aren't, you know, super comfortable with Git is everyone uses that shortcut that git commit dash am and then their message to kind of quickly just like commit whatever the hell they're working on um, and save that kind of state of the the project at that time but what a lot of people don't notice there is if you've added a brand new file that command isn't going to add that file to um, your repository so i think it'd be kind of interesting to talk about like maybe why that doesn't add it to the repository and uh why someone would be confused about that and kind of, you know, the, the understanding what the staging area is and kind of how all that stuff works. So what's kind of like your best shot at explaining why you would need to add untracked files to the repository separately and why you can't just kind of use that kind of big hammer command that people are using pretty commonly. The one that's sitting on that post-it note attached to their monitor, if they're not a super comfortable Git user. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And so, you know, something that you pointed out is, is the difference between initially like tracked and untracked files, right? And the whole point is that when you use git commit dash a, it's adding files, but it's only adding the files that git knows about or what they call tracked files, right? So a brand new file git doesn't know about. And I think you're right, that throws people off in the beginning because especially if you come from like the old days of like SVN, there, there really isn't the concept of like adding something you just straight commit it, right? And, and um, with Git, it's a little bit different. It's kind of a two-step process. First of all, you have to tell Git, you know, what you want it to track and what you want it to add as part of that commit. And, you know, that's not something that people are used to, that extra step of like saying, okay, here's the things I want to commit, now commit them, right? And so, yeah, the difference between tracked and untracked is, is really as it sounds, right? It's a file that Git knows about or it's a file that it doesn't. So it's either tracking that file as part of its version history. It's tracking all of that history, um, you know, between the commits that you tell it or it's not. And so when you use that dash A, you're totally missing those. And we've all been there before where we commit it and then we run Git status like hours later when we're working on something. We're like, why is that file still sitting in there? Yeah. Where'd that file go? And yeah. or worse yet, you know, you push to production or you share with some people and it's like, <laughs> I know I made that file, where'd it go? And it's it's little things like that, I think, that throw people off. And that's why people, I think, in a way, get get a little timid and they're just like, okay, I know this command works and so I'm just going to use this all the time, even without knowing what it does. So yeah. even without knowing what that dash A is, it's like, oh, it means add. And it's like, well, not really. It means <laughs> add my tracked files that yeah. I've modified. <laughs> so... What is your kind of um, series of commands that you use when you're in that situation where it's just like, whatever I have sitting here, I want it all committed and I want to give it a message. Like, what is your workflow? Yeah, I'm, I'm a little more meticulous and I, I find for reasons like we just mentioned, I don't want any surprises, right? And so for those reasons, um, I really am a big fan of uh, doing git add dash p. So it's basically the, you know, this like patch way to add the files. And what this does is it allows you to kind of interactively go through um, your changes and say, you know, yes, add this, you know, stage this to be committed, right? I want this to be part of my commit or no, I don't. Or there's even more advanced things like being able to like finally edit, you know, oh, I just want this line, but not this line. 
And so, you know, like I said, that gives me that control of, um, you know, making sure that what's going in is, is what's there. And, and I'll, I'll admit, it does take an extra minute, but I, I got to say those times that you've been bitten by throwing these catch-all commands at Git far, you know, outweigh taking the extra three or four minutes, you know, when you're getting ready to do your final commit. Plus, it's just, it's laziness in a way, right? Like, you spent all day working on these changes or the last few hours, like, this is your last chance to just, you know, make sure that looks good before you throw it in there. Like, and we're developers, we throw debug statements in there, and we don't even look at it. So it's like, doing this blanket git add dot or git add dash capital A and those types of things that they're scary, like, and, and I think in a way, they're also lazy. And, and so I'm a big fan of git add dash P. And, and I just like taking that time to kind of just meticulously go through. And if you're making bite sized commits, you know, it, it really doesn't take that long. Yeah, I, I only recently learned about Git add dash P, I think like last year at a conference. And uh, it was really awesome. Like, I love being able to kind of just like go through and see it shows you the exact changes in a file. And I think it even does it in like hunks, right? Depending, it's almost like depends on the size of like your terminal window or something. It's like what it can show you without having to scroll. Yeah, it's pretty smart. And, and I think you can even adjust that if you really want to get advanced. But there is the S command when you're in there to say smaller, right? And so if it does show you a really big hunk that's beyond your screen, or even if you just want some pieces at the top and at the bottom, you can just kind of keep hitting S. And it'll go pretty small until it can't. And even at that point, you can hit E for edit, which will throw you in Vim or whatever editor of your choice. And then you can say, you know, meticulously change that, right? So it's it's a very, very powerful, like built-in tool to, to Git itself. Like just this one command has all those powers. And, and so many of the Git commands are like that. And again, those are, learning just a few of these, it really kind of creates this domino effect where you suddenly, it opens all these doors to where you just suddenly op, you know, know all the other commands, right? Or you start wondering, oh, well, what else does log do? And what else does rebase do? And, and you know, two weeks later, you're, you're a Git master. So Yeah. So when you actually go to commit, do you prefer to, um, do you use like the dash M shortcut and commit like in the command or do you go into a dedicated editor to commit? And what is kind of your reason for that? Does it change depending on what you're doing or what are you kind of thinking about when you make that decision? I would say 90% of the time I, I probably do, you know, far majority um, of the time I do the dash M option. And I, and I am a little meticulous about commit messages. There's great articles out there about, you know, blog posts. The de facto one, of course, I think it's even the top result in Google where they like, where they're starting to do those blurbs where they give you like the synopsis of, of the blog post. Like that one's so popular that, that Google has like the seven rules for the best commit message when you Google that. And it's from this author's original post. And, and he basically just, great article. And he's like talking about, you know, that should be 50 characters or less and you should use, you know, title case and or sentence case or whatever and imperative mood and things like that, right? And you should say, the commit message would say what you're, you know, what you're doing but not necessarily how you're doing it, right? Because the code's going to tell you how you did it. Like, you know, so many people, and you can look on any GitHub project, so many people's commit message is just stuff and change files. Yeah, and it's just... You're not going to know what files you changed like in two weeks, man. Like just take, again, don't be lazy. Like take five seconds and just at least say changed configuration files. Like from a, from a quick glance, like that's going to help. But yeah, most of the time I just use dash M and I, I try to take a minute and think about that. I will use the text editor on commit on occasion. And that's normally at work or in a work setting when I want to tag the story that I've worked on with like something that goes back to like, 
Pivotal Tracker or a GitHub issue or you know Basecamp or whatever management tool we're using, tracking tool we're using for the project. Like maybe in the in the more detailed body of the message, I'll still do my title line and then break down and tag that story or whatever so it gets picked up automatically. But most of the time, personal projects and stuff, dash M, and that, that's good enough. It's more about the message to me. Do you have any rules about how often you commit? Yeah, I think that's a good a good question because a lot of times, like even in these talks and workshops that I've done, like people are always you know saying, oh, I, I commit every 15 minutes. And it's like, well, <laughs> Git's not a backup. Like it's not, that's not what it's supposed to be like necessarily. Like, yes, it's, it's historical record, but it's, it's a historical record based on units of work. And so that's really what it's about for me. Like, I don't try to base it on time or um, amount of files changed or any weird metric like that. I mean, to me, it's kind of like, it gets into like the people that say, you know, well, I don't want my methods to be more than five lines. And of course, this is a whole other topic, but I just don't buy into like hard, fast metrics like that because there's just in code and in life, there's just so many things that it depends, right? Like it, five lines of comments, you know, might not be whatever, right? So the point is, is like people just don't, um, you don't need to like, do it like a backup per se. I, I do it in units of work. So anytime I want, anytime I want to say, okay, this is a feature or a, a subset of the feature that is is a unit and it's complete and isolated in itself, that's a commit. My other rule is that I'll make a commit anytime I think I might want to revert that for some reason. So maybe if I'm temporarily doing some configuration changes that I know the server is going to move in a couple weeks or business comes in real quick and says, oh, rip that one feature out. And so I throw a feature flag around something like I'll make that its own commit because I know that I can just use git revert later and, and have git just do all the legwork of popping all that off for me. Yeah, I I try to work the same way, like, you know, kind of trying to make these atomic commits that kind of like represent some sort of, you know, logical group of work. And it's not always like a full feature, right? Because maybe a full feature might take multiple days, but it might be like at least like some some problem that you solved, you know what I mean? Like some logical thing, like you don't commit like halfway through a line of code before you put a semicolon at the end. And to me, that's the same sort of idea as like, you know, the methods not finished or whatever, like something logical. I know like, um, did you ever watch like the destroy all software screencasts like Gary Bernhard? You know who that guy is? I've heard the name. I don't think I've seen the, the, uh, the screencast though. So he has like, um, a thing set up in his terminal where, um, the color of his terminal prompt changes based on time. And if he hasn't committed in five minutes, it's like red <laughs> and like flashing at him to like, let him know that um, probably you've done something worth committing at this point. So I think it's kind of an interesting blend of kind of what we're talking about where, you know, you don't just commit because like some timer went off and it's just like, Oh, commit exactly what happened now or whatever. Yeah. It's, but it's like, you know, if you've been working for the last 15 minutes, you must have like done something in there that, uh, you know, is worth um, capturing as like a commit, maybe not necessarily depending on the sort of thing that you're doing. But I, I do find that um, I like working with small, frequent commits and I don't do it as often as I should. But when I do get into that flow of doing that, I feel like my work is better organized. I feel like I'm being more productive. I feel like I'm kind of more focused on what I'm doing. Um, I find like I do a better job of kind of keeping track of where I am and what's kind of left to do and stuff like that. I don't know. I find there's a lot of like nice kind of side effects that come along from thinking about writing. What's the next smallest piece of code that's worth committing and kind of like working in that mindset. I don't know if that's something other people think about, but it's been kind of helpful for me. I definitely agree. I I think my point was really that Git shouldn't be the facilitator of the process for how you develop 
you know, it, it should be the tool, not the thing saying, oh, well, I have Git now, so I'm going to commit every f- five minutes. Like, but I completely agree that um, if worrying about a commit or, or, you know, keeping a commit's size in mind helps you work on smaller, more logical units of code, then by all means, uh, commit more frequently. I will say one thing about the commits also is that um, I've become a real big fan of the whip commit, especially, you know, just because my workflow, which I'm sure we'll get into, is, is more of a feature branch type thing. So, if you if you are in a place where you just want to make a commit, like, I'll just make a whip, which is work in progress, and I'll just get commit dash M, you know, WIP, you know, and just throw it in there. Right. And like, especially at the end of the work day, like at work, we are religious about that. Like we definitely do a whip commit at the end of the day and go ahead and push it up to the feature branch. Cause that's more of a backup purpose. And that's also just kind of like, Hey, I'm working on stuff. And just in case I'm not in tomorrow or whatever, or someone wants to pick this up. People still have access to it, yeah. Yeah, so I think that's still using Git in the right way, but it's also, again, formalizing a process of like, I'm still working on this stuff, right? So like, and those are all facilitated by commits. So again, it's completely free reign, but I, I do try to make the commit about a unit of work, not about a unit of time. Just wanted to take a quick break to thank our first sponsor of the episode, and that is Laracasts. So Laracasts is a de facto community and educational resource for PHP developers of all skill levels, covering all sorts of topics in the web application development space from uh, getting started with frameworks like Laravel to building complex user interfaces with JavaScript frameworks like Vue.js and React. I think there's over 700 videos on there right now which is over 120 hours of content. And Laracast actually has a special offer for Full Stack Radio listeners, where if you sign up with the coupon code FULLSTACK2016, all one word, all caps, you actually get 50% off of your first month. So you can get access to 120 hours of content for under five bucks, which is pretty awesome. And I think uh, once you check it out, you'll be hooked. It's probably the best $9 a month that I spend. I always find new stuff there to learn, and it's kind of my go-to resource for any new topic that I'm trying to learn. I'm always hoping that Jeffrey has done a video on something because he does such a great job teaching this material. So if you haven't checked it out, definitely check out Laracast.com and use the special full stack 2016 coupon code to give it a try and get your first month for 50% off. Thanks Laracast for sponsoring the show. You mentioned a, you know, a little bit of the workflow that you guys use uh, with branching and feature branches and stuff. It'd be interesting to get into that a little bit more and kind of find out what approach you guys use and why you think it's a, a good approach and why it works for you guys. Yeah, I think there's I think there's two main schools of thought when it comes to you know workflows, and that's basically you know the feature branch where everything's off, a single long running branch. So this is normally master, for example, and you'll create some feature branch that you're working on a feature or something, and you'll do your work over there, and then you'll you know merge it back into master. And then the other is, is multiple long-running branches that represent, um, you know, typically either environments or product release uh, markers and so forth. And I've used both over the years, and um, obviously they have their place even in the description. So I think the long-running branches are really nice if you have like this single product that, you know, you have it in staging and you have a 1.0 version out there and you have a 2.0 version and... Because of that, there's not a clear picture of what a single branch would be, right? Like you need to somehow keep those separate. But I find that for the most part, like that becomes really hairy in certain situations where like, okay, what if you have a hot fix, right? 
okay, well, that has to go into the 1.0 you know, branch, but it also has to go in the 2.0 branch, and it needs to go in this, all these feature branches that we're currently working on, as well as the QA branch. So it's like all these long-lived branches, however many you have, you have like this N plus one problem now, right? Yeah. Like you have your original... Like what branch do you create the hotfix off of too? If you've got multiple long running branches, you know, it all totally depends on what the fix is probably. Right. So it just gets like pretty complicated. So, I guess yeah. um, maybe to define quickly, like what we're talking about, or at least give people some reference points, the multiple long running branches thing. That's commonly what people refer to as like get flow, right? Yes, like, exactly. Uh, that has that diagram that's online and we can link to it in the show notes. And then I think, um, the other approach that you talked about, which sounds like what you guys use with just like a single long running branch and then feature branches, a lot of people call that GitHub flow, which is yes. like how GitHub does their stuff. So we can link to that stuff as well. And uh, yeah, I think you're right that both have their place. I found um, what becomes problematic is when you try and apply like the Git flow, like multiple long running branches approach to something like a web application where it's not really needed, but just because like you kind of think that that's the right way to do it. I found that that's been extremely painful and more and more I've found uh, at work at Titan, like we end up using like more of a GitHub flow sort of approach on projects. And I think it has like another side benefit too, right? Which is it sort of is encouraging you to work in like a continuous deployment sort of style where you want to keep master deployable at all times. You don't want like some branch that's like getting ahead of like what's in production. And then like now you have to do some big bulk merge at some point when you're ready to merge all that stuff in. And it just like the anxiety level just gets like higher and higher. The more and more they diverge and the more big stuff that you have to merge in at once, especially now if you get to a point where it's like, oh, well, we actually decided we want to merge in just this feature, but not this feature. I don't know. It's almost like it's bigger than just like a Git workflow pattern, right? It's it's like a project management and like product development kind of uh, workflow in general. So it's kind of interesting how that stuff kind of works. I don't know. Have you thought about that much? Like, Yeah, I, yeah, I definitely agree. I, and I, I think I would go so far as to be opinionated with the fact that like GitHub flow is is probably where everyone wants to start. And I say that because I feel like you're going to know when you need something like Git flow, like you're going to realize pain points and understand, you know what? Hey, like we need to log another long running branch for staging. Like master's not cutting anymore. We're going to do just a complete thing of work over here. But really, if you think about it at that point, it's really just a long lived feature branch. Like all these things are really one and the same at the end of the day. It's, it's really just how meticulous are you about keeping those things, those branches long lived, right? How, how long does the staging branch really live, right? And, and in most cases, it, I guess it, it would live forever. And that's why people would adopt GitFlow. And uh, again, there's, there's great articles on this. I'm not going to claim to know when you should and should not do it. But I really would say that when you're starting out... Um, Understand the pain points of GitHub flow. And, and obviously they give you this branching model right away because any anything you create on GitHub immediately has master and a single they don't create for you master and dev and you know and they don't do it because yeah, it's, master develop staging and you know whatever the current version number is and you know your hotfix that sits in between master yeah. and dev or whatever. Exactly. It'd be too complicated in the beginning, and that's exactly the point. And not to say that Git flow is too complicated, but the point is when you know and understand that you're gonna need that, then it's not complicated because you understand the need for it. But if you start with it right away, you're not gonna understand how to manage those branches. And no matter no matter how many blog articles you read, and again they're all great, I've read them. But like, you're just not going to get it. <laughs> yeah, that makes total sense. Like kind of grow into that kind of 
more naturally and like evolutionarily than just kind of defaulting to it. One thing that I think would be, I'd like to hear your opinion on actually is like, I kind of mentioned it tangentially there, but if you have like two long running branches, you have like a master branch and you have like a staging branch. And I feel like this is the situation that I most commonly end up in when I do have multiple long running branches. Like we have like some kind of, uh, some site that's set up as like a client demo site. And then there's like, like the actual deployed site. And we're like working on new features and putting them into the demo. So that we can do like, you know, acceptance meetings or whatever. And the client can say, yeah, yeah, this stuff's all good. We're ready to deploy that stuff to production. I've run into situations very commonly where we might have like five features sitting in staging that we worked on, but only three of them get accepted by the client and are ready to be deployed. And it gets tricky sometimes to make sure that you're keeping track of all those separate feature branches and making sure that they can be merged separately into production instead of like through staging into production. You know what I mean? Um, have you run into this problem? Do you have like a workflow that you guys use to kind of solve this sort of situation? Yeah. And I, I think that's where even for me at the time and, and at the time I, I wouldn't claim to understand it completely, but we were using GitFlow for that exact reason, thinking that it was just going to save us in those scenarios. And it just didn't, you know, and not to say that it couldn't, but it just, we didn't find the, the clear answer is my point. And so we ended up, you know, probably what everyone does at some point, and we cherry picked this and we moved that and we, you know, merged this, but not that. And it, it just got, like you said, it just, it gets a little tough sometimes. And, and so for me, I, I would say what I ended up doing and what I still do is if you have that single branch, like it's all like that single master, right? The whole point is to promote yourself into master. So if you have feature branches or staging branch or whatever it is, at some point in time, that thing is going to be promoted or merged into master. And so if you look at it like that leveling up, right? Um, it's really a race at that point. And so in your case, you have three, three guys that want to win the race, right? Three branches and then two others that need to stay behind and, you know, do a little more work or whatever. So if you did the feature branch approach and you left those alive somewhere, then you would just take the three features that you want and merge them straight into master. You still have a clean commit history because you're not doing anything weird and rehashing those in any way, right? You're not cherry picking or doing something weird of those natures. So eventually those will just merge together and keep a clean tree, right? And you're not, you know, you're leaving those two behind and you're not like taking all of staging and having to like do feature flags and all these other things. Yeah. So I guess the catch there though was that you have to have those feature branches still out there. Yeah. I think that's a good analogy though that you give that that mental model I think is helpful. So to think about like, if you have like a long-lived staging branch and a long-lived master branch and you think of like the feature branches as kind of like the things that are in this race, staging is just kind of like a checkpoint along the way to master and it's the features that are moving. It's not like the features should get absorbed into staging and then staging should get absorbed into master. Yeah. I think that's a mistake a lot of people make and gets them into tough situations. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Yeah, I think I think staging needs to be treated as, as a temporary, you know, cut branch that's that's really short-lived in a way right it's not a real branch it's not a feature branch it's a collection you know that to your point is a checkpoint i think i think that sticks with the analogy really well and that makes yeah i think that's great um so when you guys are merging in uh feature branches there's a lot of kind of different approaches that 
different people use. Some people like to, you know, rebase that feature against whatever master is currently at. Some people just merge it straight in. Um, some people do a merge with a fast forward. Some people do a merge without a fast forward. What opinions do you have on that whole kind of merging a feature branch into master workflow? Yeah, I think um, the, the biggest thing to remember in those scenarios is uh, Git is a historian, right? So if, if you go messing around with history, like Git is not going to like you at some point. And whether you try to push and it's going to reject it or whether your buddy is working on the same stuff, like if you went and rebased something weird like and it's already out there and shared, you're changing history, you're rewriting history. No one's going to like you, including Git and your coworkers. They're all going to be mad. So for me, I, I'm real careful with rebasing, and, and we can talk more about rebasing in a minute. But as far as the merging goes, um, I'm not a huge fan of the merge commit, to be honest. Um, and I definitely don't merge into any kind of feature branches. Like if I'm doing work, that work is undone, right? Like it's not committed. It's not, well, it might be committed, but it's not shared. It's not pushed, right? And so if it's not shared and it's on my machine and I'm the only one that knows about it, there's absolutely no reason for me to have this merge commit saying that like, hey, I updated my workflow that I've been working on that nobody knows about and I put master back into it. Like there's no need for that, right? So if I'm still working on it and it's unshared, I don't want any merge commits. Now, some people are really big about, okay, well, when I'm done with my work and I'm putting it into master, I want to see the merge commit. I want to see kind of a history that you made this feature branch and here was this block of work and it kind of keeps that historical record of the tree. I can get behind that. And if you use PRs on GitHub, you're going to have that automatically. So there's really no control at that point because the PRs... Is that how GitHub works? It does like the no FF yes. flag kind of by default? That's exactly what they do. There's no such thing as a, as a pull request in in Git, right? It's a, it's just a collection yeah. and it's a merge underneath, right? And so that's another area where I think newbies have some trouble with the difference between Git and GitHub is like, well, where's, where's my pull request? And it's like, well, really that's a merge commit. Don't tell anybody, you know? <laughs> like, so yeah, it's like a GitHub invented yeah. kind of thing. And it's funny because they, they've really popularized it. And I still commonly call it PR, like even on stuff like shift, like I'll say, check the PR, but it's like, on Bitbucket, it's, it's an MR, you know, and GitLab, it's a, you know, so it's, a, you're right. So it's, it's one of those things where I definitely keep, um, I'll keep the commit, the merge commit in those cases because I understand and, and I'll kind of just default to whatever the team wants to do. But my development work, never merge commit. Like if you have merged, you know, origin master in like your development work somewhere that you did something wrong in my opinion. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I used to rebase my feature branches on top of master before merging back into master because sure. I think my only real reason for it was like, it seemed like a lot of the time I'd run into less conflicts that way. No. And you're, and, you're absolutely right to rebase. But I don't do it now. Oh, okay. Um, and the reason I don't do it now is for the reasons that you're saying, like, first of all, like, why do I care about, somehow making my history look more linear or cleaner. I'd rather tell the truth yeah, because that's way more useful to me when I go back and I'm trying to figure out how something happened or I'm trying to get some insight into, you know, one thing or another. Uh, the other thing is like, if you do something stupid, like rebase a feature on top of staging before merging it into master, now you've like made it impossible to use that sort of like, 
checkpoint workflow that we were talking about because now you can't get that feature into master without taking everything else that was in staging unless you go through and like hand pick like all the different commits out that you need like some sort of neurosurgeon in like your <laughs> git history right so yeah i think i definitely agree that like by and large i haven't really seen a great reason to rebase anymore it was it was like a purely like an aesthetic thing that i don't think is justifiable in my opinion i definitely won't i won't rebase onto master um but i but there is there is uh times where you're gonna want to rebase your feature branch against master like if you've been working on a feature branch for a week and you're you know ready to put it back into master and you don't want to do all the conflicts or you're worried about work like you might want to rebase that feature branch, you know, against master. So it just, you get the more recent changes and make sure that your stuff doesn't have any conflicts. Like if you want to be real thorough and don't want to do it in the merge, right? Cause if you've worked on a feature branch that's stale by a, a week, like your chances of having conflicts are pretty high. So I'd rather handle those so, in a rebase. So why do you prefer to, why do you prefer to rebase instead of just like doing a merge from master into just because it creates that merge commit sometimes and it starts to make things look Harry, I mean, the other thing is, what if you have someone else on your team that's working on the same feature for whatever reason, and now you're like kind of messing up history? You know what I mean? It feels sticky to me. Sure. Well, I think I think yeah, maybe I probably I probably didn't explain that well. So because it sounds like I'm going I'm going I'm flip flopping here. So it's one of those things where um, um, I'm not a big flip flop fan, by the way. I like to come up with the one thing and stick with it. So <laughs> um, so yeah, so it's one of those things where. Yes, sorry. Let me be a little more clear. So when I'm working on my feature branch, which is my development work, which which I'm under the assumption that no one else has seen. So yeah, maybe someone else could be working on the same thing. But the point is, no one else has seen that. But master is still shared. It's social. Other people are committing to it. So while I'm off doing that development and, you know, in the corner and not looking at anybody else, like, at some point in time, I'm going to want that to go back into master. And that is definitely a merge. I agree with that 100%. But maybe what wasn't clear is that if I've been off in the corner doing that work for a while, there might be more things on master that I want to check my work against. I don't think that a merge is the place to check that, in my opinion, right? Because the merge, yeah, it's going to tell you, hey, man, there's a conflict. Do you want to fix it right now? And you're kind of fixing it in this already you tried to do it and you're kind of like trying to duct tape it Humpty Dumpty back together again. And you're going into the, your merge tool or you're going into VI and you're looking for those you know, placeholders in the files and ripping them out. Like it's just, even though rebase is likely going to give you the same thing, I feel like rebase is the appropriate tool in my mind because really I'm, that work that I've done on that feature branch is still new, right? Like master doesn't know about it, but if I'm trying to merge it at that point, like master already knows about it and now I have to fix it. In my mind, it makes more sense that I've worked on this work and now I'm ready to put it into master as new not like try to squeeze it back in history. Yeah. And so if I rebase, then I'm, I'm truly, that work is still new and it's on top of the new master stuff. And if you think about how that looks, I'm doing a lot of hand gestures, but if you think about how that looks, like it's, that, that also helps you understand what the tool does, right? A lot of people don't understand what rebase does, but it, it kind of like, if you watch those, um, the output of rebase, it says, hey, first I'm rewinding your work. And so what that's doing is it's putting you back to a common point where both branches looked the same, right? That common checkpoint in history, like we talked about earlier. And then it's fast forwarding that to look like master does right now. So that gives you all the latest work that your buddies were doing while you were in the corner, right? And then what it does is it replays your commits that you've done, your work on top of that. 
So now you're the same as master, but with new stuff. And, and that's the point. In my mind, that makes more sense. That's how my brand should look when I want to merge it. So now in the history, it looks like you checked out that feature branch off of the latest version of master when you started working on it instead of when you actually checked it off of master. So I can see like the argument both ways. And I, I still do what you're talking about, like pretty often, honestly. But sometimes I wonder, like, I don't know, you're still kind of rewriting history, right? Especially if you the are. feature branch was public before. I don't know. I do like it for the same reason you're saying. Like I have that same mental model where, you know, if I picture like two tracks and I have like these master commits on the bottom row and then I've branched off to make my feature above it, when I'm ready to like merge that feature back in, I kind of like the idea of saying, okay, apply this feature against like what's current in master now instead of like having this merge commit along the way where I kind of like went back into master to get the things, you know, I don't know. It's tricky. Um, I don't know that I have a good heuristic for when I do one or the other, the more I think about it, but I definitely um, still do that now and then. And I agree that it feels clean. Like it feels like it matches like how I'm thinking of actually doing it. Like, I don't want to think like, okay, I'm applying my feature against like an old version of master plus mixing in a bunch of other stuff. I just want to think like, okay, here's all the work that I did. Now where's master at these days? Let's just throw my, you know, feature into the new version of master. I don't know. It's, it's interesting. And it's kind of one of those things that like, it's hard to even have an opinion about if you don't have a good sense of what rebase even means. And like can picture this kind of like get graph in your head. You know what I mean? No, it's true. And I, I think as we continue to talk about it, like I even, you're right. I mean, it, it rewrites history in its own way, right? Like it rewrites kind of the development history, which maybe is not as important as the main history, but you're right. It, it technically speaking, it does rewrite history. And as such, it's, it's, uh, you know, that, that creates the great debate. I'm still yeah, going to use exactly. rebase though. I'm, a, I'm still going to rebase my feature branches. That's, that's who yeah. I am. <laughs> Cool. So what else would be cool to talk about? Um, we're talking about rebase a little bit. Uh, how do you feel about using like interactive rebase, like squash commits and stuff like that? Do you do that pretty often? Or? Yeah. When I want to impress the coworkers, I definitely do the old rebase dash I. Um, and, and if you're doing whip commits and other things like that, like, or maybe you're the type of person that does want to commit often, right? Like I worked on this little bit and stuff and, you know, folder five. But at the end of the day, you're going to go back and say, okay, look, those three or four things I did, let's go back and let's unit them up right and let's give them better commit messages, then yeah, absolutely, rebase-i is going to be your friend. And um, I, I probably use it a lot more than I, I see most of, of the other developers, most of my peers using it. Um, I, I think it's a neat tool, but again, to your point, it, technically speaking, if you push that or whatever, like you, you know, you're going to rewrite history when you do that. And as such... Um, you know, some people have, have differing opinions about that. But again, it's my work. It's not done. And it's not in master, which in my mind, master is the source of truth. And as such, as long as I'm not rewriting history on master, I'm free to do what I want on that feature yeah. branch. And it's more like as long as you're not rewriting history on something that anyone else is using, right? Mm -hmm. um, if you know that it's yours and like it's your property sort of thing, then like you can kind of do what you want with it. I think like another great debate about like the interactive rebase stuff is a lot of teams will squash an entire feature branch down before they merge oh, into yeah. master. So what do you think about that? I've seen people do that with, um, 
shift. I'll, I'll see every now and then just because I, I have um, statistics and stuff and audit trails just to kind of understand not only how many you know commits and PRs it does per shift, but also how the PR ultimately ends up getting used. And I would say there's, you know, maybe 10% of people out there that do that. They'll take the PR and all my pretty little commits that I made with perfect messages that references the docs, like they'll pack all that down into like one commit and call it like Laravel 5.2 upgrade. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> like, and you know what? At the end of the day, like that's their prerogative. Like it's the same thing, right? It's that feature branch. It's your work. And if you want to say you did all that in one commit, that's fine with me. Like, sure. I, I probably wouldn't useful, do that. Though? Probably not. I wouldn't do that. And, and, and from a unit of work perspective, like if you get rid of 14 commits and put it into one and you ever want to go back and want one of those 14 commits, like you're, you're out of luck. And like in your memory, you're going to remember doing those in 14 ways, right? Not just here's the Laravel upgrade, but I understand. I think if you're really empowered about doing that, then you want those merge commits, right? Keep your 14 commits, don't pack them all down, but make sure you do like a no FF merge so you get that merge commit because that's going to give you that same history packed into one, right? Don't don't pack it into one commit. There's no need to do that in my opinion. I agree. Yeah, I think uh, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you. Like I do use rebase with the dash I to do like some squashing and stuff, but it's only when I've created like non-atomic commits for some other reason, right? Like my goal is to have like every commit kind of represent a unit of work, like you're saying, but for practical reasons, like you're finishing work for the day or some emergency comes up or you have to stop what you're doing to go do something else. A lot of time you do create these sort of little checkpoint commits. And sometimes it can be helpful to kind of like get rid of those when you're actually ready to merge something into master, just so that you do have that kind of clean history that it does make it more useful, right? Because why would you want to jump back to like a work in progress commit where like the tests are failing and like, there's no real clear, like why was this set of changes committed? And like, there's still stuff that's missing. So you got to think like, what is the kind of, what is kind of motivation for why I'm doing this kind of squash? Like what benefit am I getting out of it? And I think there's a pretty clear benefit to merging or to squashing those sort of like non atomic commits, but I don't see any benefit to squashing like a whole history of good atomic commits in a feature. Yeah. yeah, totally agree. And I mean, there's some days where, like you said, I'm, I'm the wild west, you know, it's, it's Monday and I'm just, I'm making whip commits and stuff commits. And I'm just, just cause it helps me feel like I'm getting work done. Right. And I'm just yeah. getting some momentum. And so those are cases where I'll definitely go back and, and rebase to your point. Cause I'm just firing off commits like crazy with no real messages, but it all gets cleaned up later. But yeah, I, I just, I can't get behind having all this time and all this work that you've done a good job on. And then you make a PR and everyone sees those 14 commits and then it's like, okay, time to merge this in one commit. And it's like, that makes sense. Just wanted to take another quick break to thank our second sponsor of the show, Rollbar. So one of the frustrating things about being a developer is dealing with errors, of course, right? You know, either you rely on your users to report errors or you're digging through log files, trying to figure out what went wrong or Maybe you're hooked up to an existing tool and you got millions of alerts flooding your inbox all day long. Uh, Rollbar is like a full stack error monitoring solution. And with Rollbar, you get the context, insights, and control that you need to find and fix bugs faster with a lot less noise. So Rollbar is really easy to install. You can start tracking production errors and deployments in eight minutes or less. It works with all major languages and frameworks, including Ruby, Python, JavaScript, PHP, Node, iOS. You know, you get the picture. If you're a Laravel developer, 
developer like myself, there's actually a package that you can use that integrates with Rollbar really quickly. I'm actually experimenting with it right now because I'm planning on switching uh, Nitpick CI, the SaaS app that I run over to Rollbar for my error handling. So in a future episode, maybe I'll give you an update on how that went. But so far, experimenting with it has been uh, really fun and I've really been enjoying it. So Rollbar also integrates with a lot of different other tools, like it can send your errors to Slack or HipChat or create new issues in GitHub, Jira, and stuff like that. And uh, for Full Stack Radio listeners, Rollbar actually has a special offer where if you sign up at rollbar.com slash fullstackradio, you get access to their bootstrap plan for free for 90 days. So you get like 300,000 errors tracked for free. So give Rollbar a try. Head over to rollbar.com slash fullstackradio to try out the bootstrap plan. And thanks to Rollbar for sponsoring the show. One thing uh, that I think would be kind of cool to talk about, do you use any tools at all when you're interacting with Git for any reason or are you purely command line all the time? Yeah, I probably should have said that earlier. I'm, I'm pure command line. I, I just believe that it's important, at least in the beginning, at least in the beginning with any tool, any development tool, I really think it's important to do things like the natural, like the pure way, if you will, like it's going to give you an understanding of what's really going on. Cause like so many people download the GitHub client. Like I, I do some mentoring um, at, a, at a local nonprofit and that's how people get started. And that's totally fine. It's totally understandable, but they have no idea what's going on when they hit push and pull, you know, when they hit that little up arrow cat, like they don't know what's going on. And so if that tool helps you or if that tool's faster or whatever, that's totally fine. But take a little bit of time, fire up the command line. You know, there's so many Macs out there these days, like open up terminal, gets already on your system. Like <laughs> just learn, learn the commands of what it means when you hit that, that up arrow. You know, when you hit push, what is that actually doing? Even if it's just a week, like I think there's value in that. And it's true for anything in programming. Like I really have tried to live by that. I use um, the terminal for 99% of everything, but I still have the GitHub for Mac client. I have like some heuristics about how I use it low. So I only actually use it for like, I would say kind of three things. I don't use it for anything where there's a button that would do more than one Git command. Uh, anything that feels like it's trying to do something magic where it's like trying to create like, you know, so it has that sync button, right? There's no sync command and get so i'm never going to hit that because i don't trust what it's doing <laughs> because i want to i want to you know specifically do what i'm actually doing but what i do actually use it for is um just kind of like a visual way to look at my diffs easily to see like what's changed in like my working tree and uh the other thing i find it really useful for is when you want to commit like just single lines like we kind of talked about right when you want to break up a commit into multiple lines and it's almost like it's almost like I wish I didn't have that because I use it as like a band-aid to like when I should have committed more often. But I do find a lot of time I do a little bit too much work and then I'll go into the GitHub client and I'll sort of select okay, I'll look through the files and I'll be like, okay, well, these three files changed for like the same reason. So I'm not gonna commit anything else. I'll commit these three files and maybe like there's two functions I edited in one of those files, and one of those functions is related to one change set that I was really doing and one to another one. And I find the UI is helpful for at least like breaking that stuff up so I can like add my atomic commits even if I have like a bigger change set. And it's also kind of useful for um, just putting in your commit messages uh, quickly too. I find it encourages me to add a body to my commits more. Uh, than using the command line does sometimes. But Git is kind of like my only place where I'm forced, well, I guess like because I'm too lazy to set up anything else, but it's like the only thing that forces me into Vim. <laughs> so I kind of do like to do it just to kind of like 
keep my chops a little bit there, kind of like try and get better at it a little bit. But yeah, I use the command line as well, pretty much exclusively, except for a couple things that I find are uh, helpful to do in the Mac app. But I 100% agree that um, you should learn the command line before you look for things that are going to like simplify that workflow. Because if you don't have an understanding of what those things are actually doing, then as soon as something does something that you didn't expect, all of a sudden you like have no idea how to get out of it or how to recover from it. Yeah, I think unless you're doing really advanced things, like there, like I said earlier, there's really honestly like eight Git commands that you're going to need to use probably on a weekly basis. Probably not even that many, to be honest. But the point is, is like you can even go out right now and see that total there's probably like 20 Git commands and 10 of those deal with like administration and server stuff. So it's one of those things where um, it's just not that hard to learn it. And I really think when you do, you're going to feel like, like we've talked about really empowered, but a lot of the things you mentioned that are in that client, the client's really just helpful. Like adding those things line by line is no different than git add P, right? Like it's a little, it's a little more visual and clicky with the mouse, but like it's effectively the same thing. Of course, it's, it's probably just a little faster, which is totally fine. And I'm all for like, productivity hacks, but, um, I would definitely, again, I'm, I'm more of just a, a command line cowboy. And I paired with a guy that was, was just a, a Vim guru, uh, you know, about a year ago. And, and so I, I feel another area that's empowering, right. Is Vim. And so it's just one of those things where now I'm empowered to use Vim. So it's like, go ahead, get, kick me into the, you know, Vim. I don't care. <laughs> so. Yeah, for sure. Cool. So maybe a good place, um, a good kind of thing to end on would be to get into, any like cool aliases or anything that you use in uh, Git to kind of like speed up your workflow and like simplify things that you do commonly. Do you have any like cool ones that you'd like to share and we can like throw them in the show notes for people to add to their own uh, Git config? If there's yeah, definitely. That was, that was kind of the area I was, I was uh, hoping to, to kind of finish on too. Um, I actually read, uh, I haven't been a big fan, honestly, of, of aliases and, and I'll, I'll give you two reasons for that. Um, one, again, it defeats the whole purpose of exactly what we were just talking about, like knowing what's really going on. Like if I have git co, like, is that commit? Is that checkout? Like, I don't know what that is. And the second reason is, and it kind of bleeds into the first, is that um, I'm on an extreme programming team. So like, I don't know what workstation I'm going to be using, really, honestly, like that day, we're switching pairs and we're moving teams and so forth. And I don't have time to highly configure mine. And I know it's just a git config file, but the pair that I'm with might not want those, you know? So it's just, I just try to go pretty natural. Now that's not to say I don't have some aliases. So let me, let me share those. Um, but that's my quick, that's my quick purest uh, play there is I really try to stay away from them. And if, if I do have them, I will say that the ones I have are not the common aliases that people have, right? So a lot of people advocate aliases for productivity hacks, right? They want like get CO and that's again, maybe it's commit or checkout and I guess more yeah. commonly checkout. If you have tab completion, you know, with Git tab completion, which I do, and I, it's downloadable, you know, from GitHub and so forth uh, for the terminal. And so I have that installed definitely as a tool. But if you have that, like, it's the same amount of keystrokes, really, if you're thinking That's about right. it. Like, yeah. CO space and CH tab is the same. Like, yeah. so I don't have any confusion about what that command is. Everyone knows what that command is. It's the natural command. Um, so, you know, I'm not a big fan of those types of aliases. Uh, what I am a fan of are aliases that are shorthands, but they are descriptive. And this is just like variable naming and programming, right? Like, try to be descriptive. Don't call it X, call it, you know, order total, right? And so anyways, um, so what I'll have is I'll have one git append. 
is one that I have. And so what that basically is, and again, we can share these, but what get append is, for example, is let's say I've made a commit and like we said earlier, I forgot an untracked file. And so I add that tracked file and I want to append it to the last commit, right? That's exactly what it is. It's get append. So I don't have to do so get just, commit. You just add it to um, the staging area, run get append, and it just does like a get commit. Um, what is it? Git commit dash dash append. It just keeps the same um, yeah. commit message. Yeah, so it's git commit dash dash amend dash dash no dash edit is basically what that one is. And so it's just saying, take this file and put it on the last commit. Don't change the message. Don't do anything else. But again, it's not like git ca5, you know, is my alias. Sure. Like it's, it's git append and that, that's going to read well. I have git unstage, for example. So instead yep. of git reset and then the file, like I want to call it unstage, right? Yeah, I think that's a good one, honestly, because I think... Um, Reset is one of the scariest commands in Git <laughs> because and I, even though I feel like I know what they do, I still like I'm, my fingers start to shake a little bit if I'm doing like, okay, I want to get reset this file. Like, is this going to be destructive? Is this not destructive? Do I need to add dash dash soft if I want to make sure yeah. it doesn't actually delete it? Or As they should, as they should, they should shake a little bit. But we should talk about the ref log here in just a second just so um, you can you can feel comfortable maybe. Uh, throwing around some of those reset commands. I would say the last, the only one that I do alias, and it's not really a good alias, it's more of a, a, a bash alias for me, because I use bash. I do have GST. I mean, I type git status all the damn time. So like, mm. GST is is the only one that I'm willing to, to cut the corners on and make an exception for, because, you know, if you want to check the index, I mean, it's just, it's muscle memory at this point. It's like breathing. I mean, the second I hit a command line coming out of my editor or whatever like gst instantly yeah i hear you so i'm kind of like i definitely agree with what you're saying but if you look at like my aliases you would never believe that i agree with you <laughs> because so i don't even use like the git aliases because i find them too long to type i just create like um i use a z shell so i create um so for me, git checkout is GCO, not even git CO, like just GCO. Um, git checkout dash B is GCB. Um, git status is actually, I set git status up as a keyboard shortcut in iTerm. So it's command enter and it shows me uh, my git status. <laughs> so I don't even have to type anything. <laughs> um, I use one that's cool is a. Uh, I use a command for me, it's G C up, which to me stands for Git cleanup. But basically what it does is it takes any loose branches hanging around that have already been merged into my current branch and just like deletes them. Um, I have GPU, which is like Git push and sets the upstream. And then I can, um, if the upstream doesn't exist, um, any other cool ones? The other, the other thing that's kind of neat to talk about actually is I use like the, uh, GitHub, CLI tool. Have you played with that much? So like I create like pull requests on the command line uh, and stuff like that. Um, so if anyone hasn't checked that out, it's kind of a cool tool. Um, yeah. All those sound completely badass, And I know every <laughs> developer listening to this is thinking, Oh man, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do inner shift command and don't try that at <laughs> home kids. Like don't do it. Yeah, it definitely bites me if I ever use anyone else's machine. Like uh, Exactly. <laughs> and I mean, I can, obviously I still know what all of them do, but my muscle memory is definitely there to like, for me, opening my terminal visor is like alt command space. So like I'm always doing alt command space command enter. 
Like, that's like, open the terminal and show me my git status. And like, my fingers have it like, it's like playing a chord on a piano or something, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. And more power to you, really. I just, I move around computers a lot. And it's when, for me, it's when I use that muscle memory and I do it on a different machine. That's when I know I need to take the alias with me. That's kind of my benchmark. And so when I came home and was typing GST, I finally was like, all right, I'm going to (laughs) embrace this alias thing. I mean, the other good thing about using the full-length things is it kind of forces you to be a fast typist, right? True, but again, with tab <laughs> completion, honestly, at the end of the day, it's, it's the same amount of, of, of keystrokes. Like, everyone's like, oh, it's seven keystrokes. And it's like, yeah, but you're, like, contorting your fingers in, like, weird ways to press the keyboard. Like, GST is probably, like, a smaller, you know, traversal distance. Anyways, so, <laughs> so let's talk about the talk about just real log. quick. Yeah. Yeah. What's reflog all about? So reflog is basically gets, so every Git repository has the .git folder, right? And inside there are all the magical, you know, flat file database aspect of Git where it keeps track of everything. And so inside of there, you know, Git's basically just referencing all your different commits or objects, if you will. And so the reflog is basically like your commit history, but more on the level of, let's call it the command history, right? So how many times, to your point a minute ago, you were very scared sometimes to run a git reset on something because it's like, how much is this actually going to reset? Like, is this, gonna, is this a hard reset? Is it going to get everything and blow it away? Is it, is it going to go back a couple commits? Like, whoa, no, what's going on? And so just to put everybody at ease, if you type git reset, its default is soft. So all that's going to do is pop things out of the staging area. So it's not going to blow away anything. But once you start doing dash dash hard or if you give it you know, SHA references in that command somewhere, it's going to do a little more than maybe you want it to. So the common thing for me sometimes, though, is like that whip commit, if I'm popping it off, muscle memory sometimes puts the dash dash hard in there, and I'm like, oh, crap. So the reflog comes to the rescue in this case because it's going to remember things more on a command level, right? So what it'll show you is if you go in and type git reflog, it's going to look just like git log. It's going to have the SHAs, and then next to it, it's going to have the head reference, but it's also going to have like, not necessarily a commit message, but what it's going to say is like, this is when you reset head, or this is when you checked out branch development and so forth like that. So it's going to give you a little bit of information. And just like you can go back in time with a commit SHA, you can use one of those reflog SHAs to get back to that point in time. So if you did a really nasty command, and as long as that command, you know, did something like undid a commit or moved a branch or deleted a branch or whatever along those lines, pretty much from my experience, a majority of commands where we would have gotten ourselves into trouble, you can undo them by referencing the ref log. So if you ever blow away a lot of your work, keep in the back of your mind, there's that thing that JMac was talking about called the ref log. <laughs> so and how hit long up does Google. it keep that stuff around for? It does keep it around for a while, but it is dependent more on garbage collection. And so every now and then, you know, when you do a git push, you'll see like these percentages that are getting thrown around where it's doing some cleanup, right? And so basically that's sometimes that's doing some garbage collection. So it's not necessarily something you can rely on. Like this is more for that immediate, like, oh crap, I just screwed up. Like it's for those moments. It's not for like, hey, two weeks ago we were working on this on your machine and we never pushed it. Like, sorry guys, that's... It's like the trash. Maybe it might be there. It might still exactly. be there. So, <laughs> yeah, you can, you can think of it like the old recycle bin. It, it might still be floating around in there to save your butt. So Reflog's been a fun one, and, and that's always one to kind of show your buddies up on when they think they screwed something up. They'd be like, don't worry about it. It's in the Reflog. 
Awesome. One other alias that I have set up that I think I should share <laughs> is git YOLO, which is git push dash dash force. So, mm. <laughs> so you might want to change master. that to you might want to change that to git YODO. <laughs> you only die once. So um, to wrap it up, is there any um, cool Git resources or anything that you found like really helpful or really important that you think would be useful to point people to if they want to learn some more advanced Git tricks? Yeah, so I, I know people always reference this, but um, on, on the git-scm.org uh, uh, or .com, I think it is, but basically there's a Git Pro out there, ProGit, and it's a completely free book that they've uh, out there. And I mean, you can read it cover to cover if you want, um, but definitely the first three chapters I can't tell you how many times I've read that over the years. Just any time I've ever really, well, what's what's an untracked file again? Or what does modified mean? Or what's rebase actually doing? You know, like, I'll just go pick that up. And it's very readable. And it has examples and so forth. And it's completely free. You can get the, you know, the EPUB and so forth. So you can get it on whatever you want. And um, like I said, that, I just found that's been a great resource. And, and for someone like me who wants to make sure I understand that terminology, right? Like I want to embrace it, gets terminology of the staging area and all that kind of stuff. Like it's, it's a good reference and they have great diagrams. And so that's the one I go back to all the time. But other than that, I mean, it's, it's just a free reign Google search and the top stack overflow vote. Cause it's, <laughs> it's definitely out there. I mean, it, anything you want to do and get, I, I, I will say is completely possible. Like um, it'll, it'll do it. And as long as you remember where you came from in your history, like it, it, you can undo any problem you ever get into and you can merge and commit and do anything else you want to do. So I just think it's a great tool and it's super lightweight. And, uh, you know, we didn't even talk about, you know, the distributed and so forth, but I just, I used to use SVN all the time until about five years ago. And I just, I've never looked back. Oh, and yeah. I remember, I remember being an SVN user and being like, everybody chill out about Git. Like it's just the hype curve, you know, and like everyone's just thinks they're all elegant and, then I swapped over and I was like, oh man, these guys really knew what they were talking about. Like, yeah, I can't imagine a world without Git. And really it's like mind blowing how a tool like that like exists and is like that much better than what we had before. And also feels lighter and just kind of like, you know, everything that was hard about SVN, like super expensive uh, branching and all that stuff is just kind of solved. And it's not even, it's not even like they figured out a way to kind of like do this expensive branching in a way that you don't really notice. It's like, it just literally is like so smart and well-designed and just like such a well kind of thought out model that everything actually is light and it's just magical that, you know, it's possible. So it's a pretty epic tool for sure. Yeah. I love it. So, uh, before we get going, is there anything that you wanted to maybe plug or anything that you're working on or uh, anywhere people can kind of check out any of the latest stuff you've been doing? Yeah. So I'm still messing around with shift. Um, I was on last time, uh, for that, which I enjoyed and I'm, I'm glad to be back if I didn't say that already, but, uh, I released PHP shift kind of quietly a couple weeks back. So it's, it's the same really as, as Laravel, but for PHP, the larger community, um, just kind of helping people out, keep their project up to date. But Probably the biggest thing is is uh, with all these conferences and, and talks and, and meetups and mentoring that I've been doing lately, I, I kind of feel like there's this area where I'm, um, I'm kind of missing an audience. And so what I'm starting to offer is uh, coaching. So more of like this one-to-one -one coaching. So a lot of like the mentoring and stuff that I do is, is obviously people wanting to get into programming. And, that, and that's great. And, and it's very rewarding, I think, for both sides. But I think there's this whole area of like peers, right? Where like, you know, 
it doesn't have to be like that teacher-student necessarily thing. It could just be something where it's like, hey, like I'm really good at X, but I want to know more about Y. Like I'm really good at Ruby, but I'm, I'm looking to like kind of do some stuff with PHP. And, and you, you want to get up to speed, like you see the value in that, right? And so you kind of want like, not necessarily like a mentor per se, but, but more of a coach. Um, so that's something I'm, I'm offering and I'm trying to get into. So I, um, I've recently posted a, a blog post about that, just about like the different um, sessions that I offer and so forth and the different areas. Git's one of them, of course. So if you want to get up to speed with Git, I'm glad to, to work with you. But we can throw something like that in the show notes, I guess. Yeah, so, but cool, man. Sounds just good. an area I'm starting to mess with. Right on. Yeah, it sounds very cool. I can definitely see the appeal of, uh, you know, finding other people that are maybe like same general level of experience as you when it comes to, you know, programming, but everybody has different skills and stuff. And it's cool to be able to kind of share some of your knowledge and learn some things from, uh, from your peers. So very awesome. Cool. Right on. So if you're interested in show notes for this episode, they will be at fullstackradio.com slash 41. Rate and review the show on iTunes. That's always helpful. If you've got any feedback, either email me or leave a comment on the episode. And thanks again to Laracast and Rollbar for sponsoring the podcast. Thanks, everyone. See you next time.